Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 155th episode of Debating Metal. I am your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris K. While this may be our 155th episode, it is also cause for celebration because this is our four-year anniversary. We published our first episode on January 27th, 2020, and four years later, here we are. Chris, tell them what we're going to talk about tonight. Kenneth, on this episode, we're going to be discussing what we believe to be the 10 most important bands in heavy metal history. We've each put together a list of 10 bands that we feel have influenced and shaped the metal scene. We're going to start at 10 and work our way up. We'll probably have some overlap, but these are our opinions, and of course, we'd love to hear yours in the comments. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Chris, that's been our motto since day one. Let the debate begin. We kind of, I think we added turn it up to 11 a little bit later on, but... Yeah, so, somewhere along the way. <laughs> so, dude, it's four years, man. Amazing. I, I, I remember this almost... Like it was yesterday, um, you sitting in my office at my house, you and I face-to-face doing these episodes, and then just a mere two months later, the whole world just decides to go sideways, <laughs> and, yeah, now, much. and now we can't sit and talk to each other, so we had to, we had to figure out how to do this. Uh, over the not over the phone but over the internet somehow via video messaging or some sort we ended up doing it with um skype the sounded like shit and so we went there for a while with really funky sounding video and audio and then we've came across we, we just kept banging our heads like how do we get this to sound better and i remember those days it was just so weird that was such a long time ago I don't remember. I kind of remember doing Skype, but I remember us moving over to uh, like recording through, um, you know, recording programs, sharing files. And then now we have even better ways to do it. So, but like, yeah, they, we, it was a learning process. I mean, it was, we, we started this thing and then all of a sudden it was like, oh shit, it was like the, the, the world's messed up all of a sudden. Um, but we made it work. Yeah, I mean, it was it was so weird because I mean, we did a, about a month, almost two months worth, you know, face to face with each other. You come into my house, and you know, literally, you know, sitting across the desk from each other, and 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 then all of a sudden we couldn't, and then we're like, well, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, yeah. and and it wasn't like it, it was an uncommon thing. I mean, obviously, everybody was doing stuff like that as far as video was concerned and, and having those kinds of Skype conferences, Zoom, while it may have existed in uh, in its infancy or maybe not, but it was not a household name at all at that time. It, did, it wasn't until the pandemic where Zoom became a household name. So, and I mean, it literally blew Skype out of the water, um, you know, and so it's kind of sort of FaceTime, but since you were an Android user, we couldn't really do FaceTime. So yeah. it was one it was one of those things that like all right what do we do what do we and we we were unprepared to go that route but we had to figure something out quick. <laughs> I think most people were unprepared for that time period. There was a lot yeah there was a lot of things everybody was unprepared for. Yeah. Uh, you know like standing in line for an hour at Home Depot just to go buy glue or something. <laughs> I'm still unprepared for that. 
Um, but you know, four years down the road, we have done, you know, as this is our 155th episodes and I, and obviously if you add up the numbers, it does not add up to a, a week for, for four years. Um, but you know, we've taken time off in between, we've taken two weeks to do an episode or the, you know, this past summer, uh, we ended up really going light on, on the schedule because of a variety of different reasons. And so we're here at 155 now and there are, there's a lot of stuff that uh, happened over the, over the past four years, a lot of humor, a lot of laughing, uh, a lot of seriousness in some cases. Um, but what was, what, what are your, some of your favorite episodes that we've done along the way? Um, for me, like, I really like doing the research on a lot of this stuff. So I, I really enjoyed the, uh, multi-part episodes that we did like on grunge, uh, new album. We did glam, um, where we kind of talked, talked about the history of those. Um, I really liked the the first i mean i like the worst to first a lot and i think the first one we did was acdc um you know there's there's a lot of ground to cover with a band that has that many albums so uh i enjoyed that one metallica i know we've done a few others so those are a lot of fun um and then i would say i like the the year ones that we've done like 1997 and uh we did another year 1991 i think we did uh 83 i think it was we did 83 um, 91 and 97 91 97 yeah so those have been a lot of fun too um i you know i enjoy doing greatest hits but like for me it's also like a lot of research and the more research i do the more i find bands and stuff that like i i didn't know about before necessarily and I enjoy them. And then the worst to first are kind of the same for me because I dedicate myself to listening to entire albums, you know, to, to really discover if those are, you know, the best or, or the worst. So it's a lot of fun. I, I like doing those episodes too. Um, the worst of first, I, you know, it, it's weird because some of our best, actually our, our number one, most downloaded episode is ACDC's greatest hits. Um, We've we've got over twenty three thousand downloads, I think, you know, of all, of our episodes, and ACDC accounts for ten percent. ACDC's greatest hits accounts for ten percent of that. That's insane to think about. First of all, you know, they've got over two thousand, I think, twenty three hundred downloads, and that's wild. Nothing anywhere it comes close to it. I mean, there's not another episode as near a thousand downloads and, you know, to be, to be honest, I mean, this is a small show. It's not, you know, I mean, we're worldwide, but we don't have a giant audience and that's okay. You know, it's growing, but that, that, that to me, you know, 2000 downloads of that episode is pretty wild. And then at the same time, some of our worst episodes are the greatest hits uh, in terms of least downloads. There's there's a big variety in terms it of the bands that we choose. Band, yeah. Right. It depends on the band. I really, really enjoy doing those. And I know a lot of the feedback that I've gotten via email or or uh, direct messages via our, our social media accounts has been they really love the algorithm of which we choose the, the songs that go on to the, the greatest hits, you know, so the whole, you know, 
we pick a song off our list and you know that we like and then we drop a song off our list that we that we don't you know that we're willing to give up and then we go across to each other's list pick and pick and choose and so that and people really enjoy that um but i think part of the up and down about it is you know one i think they're tired of hearing about it <laughs> two i think they're kind of like I don't necessarily like that band, so they don't really care about it as much. Yeah, you know? I mean, people are going to listen to what they have time to listen to, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think that is the the the, the difficulty about those worst of first. Sometimes not worst of first. I'm sorry, greatest hits. Sometimes is yeah. If you do, if you really don't like a band, you probably don't want to know about their their you know greatest right. hit. And what's, yeah, that that's absolutely true. I mean, you don't necessarily want to hear. And the funny thing is, we've had a couple of really weird instances that have popped up. Um, like one, uh, the Twisted Sister, uh, I believe we did a Twisted Sister's Greatest Hits. And that um, got traction on social media from Twisted Sister. But yeah. another one that got a, a lot of traction on social media was um, Alter Bridge's Greatest Hits. It was actually promoted by the band on Facebook. True. So whoever whoever's running their social media account really looks around for stuff that says that says Alterbridge all over the internet, and they came across our our uh, episode, and so they promoted it. And I mean, we had two hundred something downloads of that like in a week, and I'm like, oh wow, that's crazy, you know. And, and, you know, we say, I throw out these numbers, you know, there's other, obviously there are other, uh, podcasts and other video casts and all, all YouTube channels that are blowing our numbers out of the water, make it look like we're neophytes, but I don't care because, <laughs> you know, the people that listen to us, enjoy us, the people that, you know, uh, don't listen to us, don't know what they're missing. And eventually someone will catch on. Maybe we'll figure out a way to convert the person that gave us a bad review on, on iTunes. And, uh, maybe they think now <laughs> we do know what we're talking about. <laughs> you know, I mean, neither one no, of us, it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, we, neither one of us claim to be industry insiders or experts, but at the same time, this is the music that we love and this is the music that we care about. And, you know, I come from a place of, I had worked in the, in the, the, the retail music industry and, I, you know, and, and you worked at, uh, target and, and had, you know, uh, not necessarily retail music industry, but you've dealt with people buying it. So you've seen trends, you know, um, and oh, so, yeah. I mean, they're used to stock shelves of, of right. And, and this is, this is the yeah. music we love. So we're going to pay attention to it. So that's, that's what's, you know, who cares what people think? So an, uh, another one of my favorite episodes, and this will be the last one we talk about, um, is, and I, and I, it's funny because we can continue to bring it up through different stories that we read you know, on Blabbermouth or Loudwire or stuff like that. But artists living off their legacy, I think, was one of my favorite episodes because the topic just keeps coming up over and over and over again. You know, where specifically we talk about <laughs> Dave Evans from ACDC because the man goes on tour in South America playing a full-blown ACDC set and all he ever did was record two songs, I think, 
you know? I did, I did like that episode. It was fun. <laughs> so, and of course, any episode that deals with Iron Maiden and Metallica, I really, really enjoy, except one, which is my least favorite episode that we've done. I think this is probably one of your least favorite episodes. It was the album cover history. <laughs> the, okay. one and all, the one and only that we did, uh, and it was on Metallica. And I thought that was pretty freaking hilarious in, in, in retrospect. Well, you know, we had talked about doing it like an adding video to it, but like we just weren't really prepared at the time. And um, yeah, if we were ever going to like re-release it, we would definitely do a video version of it instead, so that people could see the album. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we spent an hour and a half literally describing all the Metallica's album covers. Uh, so bad. But what was um, funny? What was funny about we're sitting there? I pulled out my whole collection, and you and I are just fiddling through it because that's that was one of the episodes we did face to face, and we're just looking through the epi- the, the albums and talking about them and holding them up like like we're showing it to somebody <laughs> there's no video well, didn't, we, did, we didn't record that one because i know we recorded like some of the early stuff no no the the, the so only one that we recorded was the first episode, the very first episode? Okay. yeah it, it, so it was we we sat there and i put a uh, i put my phone to videotape us uh doing the first episode and i looked at the footage and i'm like this is boring because <laughs> it was just a single shot and it's a whole you know my yeah office we weren't mess really and shit. set up for it yeah um <laughs> i would say my least favorite was was probably that one definitely that one um but also you know in in retrospect doing musicians deaths on the third episode was probably not <laughs> not the best call um I- no, it was just, it, it, you know, and it wasn't a bad episode. It was just depressing two two episodes well, in. I mean, I wasn't in the best state of mind through the first three years of this. So, <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, I mean, it, you know, it's hit or miss. Um, like, I had some health problems that were kind of affecting my life. So, um, that definitely affected my moods sometimes and picking uh, subjects for for episodes um you know i i pick things like musicians deaths and and um odd odd album out i think it was one of mine mm-hmm. um you know stuff where it was it was kind of a negative sometimes but i still think like those those episodes were were good I just like, I, you know, we're three episodes in. We're like, let's talk about die dead people. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that wasn't the best way to go about it. Right. So. But here we are, 155 episodes later, four years on, we're still doing this. Um, I believe we have a lot of content to really to to talk about. Um, we're gonna do uh, a lot of new episodes and stuff like that. And I, I believe we've got a lot of good ideas that have pretty much kind of rearranged themselves from some of the other topics that we've discussed. And, you know, again, like you mentioned the years, the, and you know, the, the, not the annuals, but the years, I call them annuals. The year of view is the annuals to me. Um, but the years that we talk about like 1991, 97, you know, we're definitely going to go back into the eighties because of course that's, a really popular t- period of time for metal uh, and talk about some of those years. Um, and then, um, you know, we're going to do some more worst of firsts uh, along the way. And, and that's, you know, it, 
it's something that we got to tread lightly because we don't want to do too many at too, at, at, you know, too many times, but, and we also have these, the sub genre things like, I, I, you know, we're going to do one on speed metal. We're going to do one on new metal. We're still talking about trying to do one on the true Norwegian black metal, but it's, you know, if you were depressed the first three years, just this one might just hang you. <laughs> but well, it, you know, in, in order to do it and, and do it right, you know, I got to listen to a lot of the music and oh, uh, yeah, that can be when, when it's not your favorite genre, it can be a chore sometimes. That's so. a daunting task because look like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't too big into um, melodic death metal. Right. But, you know, we did a couple episodes that pertained on artists and bands that were specifically in that genre. I don't have a problem listening to that music whatsoever, but, you know, and it's because it's not depressing to me. But, you know, listening to true Norwegian black metal and mayhem, the early, early mayhem, it's kind of like, first of all, it's almost like straining your eyes to see something in the distance. You're straining your ears to hear that you know, what, what is that tone? What is that riff? Because it's hard to hear, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I believe in doing things the right way and, and, you know, listening to the music for what it is and kind of discovering something about it and seeing it through others perspective too. So, and, and, and what's so great about that is for me, I've actually found a lot of music that way, stuff that I didn't think I liked before or didn't have the right response to the first time. And over time, really gained some respect for. So, who knows? I mean, I, I just I've started on the script a long time ago. Um, I've pecked away at it here and there over time, but it's just never been like, especially last year when there was so much going on, it was really hard to to get around to. So, I'll have to kind of readdress it and just get it done, and let's let's get it uh, out this year sometime. Sounds like a plan. That's awesome. All right. So let's get to the topic for tonight. And tonight's topic is the 10 most important bands in heavy metal history. Now that's each of us. So it could be, it could be in a list of 12, 13, 14, 15. It's definitely not going to be 20 because I'm, I'm pretty sure we've got some crossover and you know, who knows? So, um, last week I went first because, I wanted to make sure that I got my choice in. So why don't you go ahead and go first in <laughs> this week? All right. Um, and I feel pretty good about my list. Um, went over it a few times and, and it kind of narrowed down what I really felt. Um, so my number 10 is Venom. Um, Venom is one of the, the first extreme metal bands there ever was. Uh, it was a new concept at the time and inspired multiple genres of music, uh, at least in, in metal. They weren't the first black metal band. Let's just be honest. But they inspired black metal. It's a whole genre that has, you know, took, took the, the, you know, the one por portion of the world by storm. Um, it, it affected a lot of things that happened in that, that portion of the world for, for a good amount of time. And, you know, it's, it's, just it's really interesting to see sometimes like when you break it down you think about like who was was the band that really affected this genre of music you sometimes go well they weren't really in that genre but obviously the inspiration came from there so uh, venom was an english band 
uh, formed in Newcastle uh, in 1979. Uh, we've actually discussed them before. We did a uh, a we did a head to head of of two of Venom's albums. Uh, I want to say it was uh, Welcome to Hell and Black Metal. Yes. Yeah, because right. we didn't we didn't do at war with Satan because that was their third album, and by then you know it was it, it was like yeah black metal was was a big influence, but Welcome to Hell was a huge album for them you know in yeah. in their in their time period in their genre, so it was you know which one really was better so I mean but but that band has been a huge influence on thrash metal, extreme metal, and black metal. So I mean when you really think about their widespread influence, like they're huge in the, in the genre. Yeah. And, and that portion of the world that you're talking about, obviously, you know, we're referencing Scandinavia for the most part. I mean, it, it doesn't yeah. limit itself there, but it, that is the, the one, the one area of the world that's got the biggest influence taken from Venom. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, for what it's worth at the time that Venom uh, was popular, put it that way. I, I had not gotten into them right away. I ended up getting into them a little bit later when it was, I call it the dark period of my high school years. Uh, <laughs> cause you I know, just I, pictured you in an emo haircut and I know that wasn't the case, but no, it, it definitely was. wasn't the case. Uh, <laughs> you know, e- e- emo stuff wasn't, wasn't, um, no, that was my, that was after yeah, my. Yeah, that wasn't part of my. That wasn't part of my my look, my time period. Um, but you know, would, would when I say the dark periods of my times in high school, it was because you know at at the time I got into Venom, I got into Celtic Frost, I got into Slayer, uh, I got into the really darker side of thrash and stuff like that. And oddly enough, I I still had not gotten into Exodus, which is weird. Um, <laughs> and you were, you were occasionally going out into the forest and yeah, a couple of times, photo shoots. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, so, so Venom, you know, I, I liked their early stuff and I thought there was, it was pretty cool, but I wasn't into, I would say that style of extreme thrash speed metal or something like that. I didn't really get into until about 86. You know, right about when I when when Slayer's uh, um, Rain and Blood came out, about that period of time, I was really really getting into thrash metal because that's when the the big four pretty much released an album each within a year's time span, uh, culminating mm-hmm. with Anthrax. So, <clears throat> you know, it was one of those where Venom, it was they were there and people talked about them. I had gotten I hadn't gotten totally into them yet, but when I finally did, I mean, I enjoyed it. I liked a lot of their stuff. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed that song Manitou that they ended up on a single. I, I ended up buying that on a seven inch. And so, to to go along with what we're talking about here, um, so Venom's on my list too. I unfortunately didn't rank them ten to one. But, you know, I'll, I'll go along with the way, you know, along how this is going and I'll put them in that, that same 10 spot as yours, because it, it's there are obviously other bands that are more important along the way. And so I'll, I'll go along with that as, as being my number 10 as well. Okay. It was just, it, I kind of my mistake. I had it in chronological order and I didn't really think about, um, putting them in a, in a specific one through 10 or 10 through one kind of order. So it works though. Cause I mean, I, I can, I can agree with the placement of this one. 
Well, th- think about it along the way and try to put them in your in your best one through ten order. Okay. <laughs> All, All right. right. So go ahead and do your number nine. All right. So uh, my number nine is Death. Um, Death was an American metal band formed in 1983 by Chuck Schuldiner. Um, there's a little bit of debate whether Possessed or Death was the first death metal band. Um, I think it's kind of a moot argument, honestly, because they were around at the same time, hung around in the same circles. The fact is, though, that Death has a much more widespread influence than Possessed did. Um, and, and there's going to be a lot of people listening that aren't really super familiar with Death, but there's a difference in influence in the in the uh, industry versus influence in you know circles of of listeners right there's there's something we talk about like where uh guitarists are musicians guitarists right where if if you ask any guitarist they'll know who this guy is but if you ask the average fan you might not know who he is. Uh, I think a lot of that goes for the industry in general. There's a lot of people who, um, while they have their level of fame, are a bit overlooked, but they influenced a lot of the musicians that got into the genres. Um, and I think Death is definitely one of those. Like They released seven studio albums, um, You know, had quite a career, um, was was the first death metal band that had a video on MTV. They actually appeared on um, uh, Beavis and Butthead. Um, and so the the thing is about death, though, that like you can talk to so many death metal musicians or people that got into extreme metal, and Chuck was a huge influence. And even now, like I would say, with a lot of the re-releases. Um, Death's influence has grown even more. There's a lot of modern fans that that uh, are just discovering the band as well. Um, so part of it for me, when I when I think about these ten that uh, are the most important in in metal, is not just how many records they sold, but who they influenced and who like the genres that followed that uh, that you know built up. Like like I said, Venom isn't like the biggest band ever. But at the same time, the amount of, of influence they had on the industry is what really determines this. And for me, death is definitely up there. Oh, I agree. I mean, they're, I'm, they're gonna, I'm gonna put them in my number nine spot too. Um, and but for me, it's there. There's a combination on this particular uh, level. Put it that way. Uh, it it goes. It's split to me. It's split between possessed and death because the debate will go on for as long as, as metal exists, who was the first death metal band, mm-hmm. right? Um, we can sit there and say, if, if we're going to go by discography and chronology, then it's possessed. Right. But they both started at the same time. Possessed just happened to get their album out first. And yet they were a little bit different in that they were thrashy. They were much, much more thrashier than death was, but, they had that uh, that dark side, that evil side to their lyrics that was more along the lines of what death metal would become. You know, so who who technically coined death metal first? We'll never know for sure. So I put both of them because death 
you know, is still considered, you know, for the, for the style that they, that, that death played to me is more along the lines of what death metal is compared to possessed. Yeah. Much more technically proficient, um, right. you know, stylistically they're very different, but there's aspects that are very similar. So yeah, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, you can easily put both in there. Yeah, I mean, Seven Churches came out before the first Death album, okay? So we're going to go along that route. But, you know, are we going to sit there and say, you know, no one, at the time, no one was saying that Seven Churches was the was the first death metal album. No one, you know, but it, it did have Randy Burns as the producer, who's the king of freaking death metal yeah. in, terms of, in terms of production. But I'm, you know, again, I'm not going to, say one way or the other. I mean, if, if you're going to personally ask me, I'm probably leaning more towards death. The band cause Chuck is just it's the damn name of the band. <laughs> you know? I think it's more than just that. Like there's, there's the actual level of influence. Like I, I guarantee you, if you ask 10 people that are at a metal show, you'll probably get more of a response out of death than you would possess taking nothing away from possessed whatsoever. But I just think that the influence is more widespread. Oh, I mean, I, I agree. I agree with it in terms of influence, but I think the influence is different in a way as well. Because again, possessed was more along the lines of the evil side lyrically, mm-hmm. um, and because Death and Chuck became so technical, even Chuck himself kind of went away from the the, the lyrical content. He was he was. Uh, that he originally started with and went to a more thought provoking, uh, introspective in terms of humanity kind yes, of absolutely. lyrical thing compared to, you know, evil and Satan and the occult and all that stuff that possessed kind of went along with, you know, yeah. so there, so while, while death metal, the, the genre kind of geared itself more towards gore and the occult and Satanism and all that stuff, death the band and the style of music that they played much more proficient much more progressive in a lot of ways obviously and you know so you had to have better players playing that you know or at least death you know chuck's style of of death metal and so it was to me completely different music and two different kind of styles all under the same banner so yeah i get that all right so what do you got for number eight for number eight, I've got Motorhead. Uh, for me, Motorhead, um, obviously, they don't always identify themselves as a metal band. Uh, Lemmy came out multiple times saying that they're just a rock and roll band. Um, but there's a lot of influence in their sound that helped develop speed metal, thrash metal, and some of the stuff that would come out in uh, extreme metal as well. I mean, Lemmy's harsh vocals, uh, the speed at which, you know, the drums and really just the whole band would play, um, you know, the style of music, very heavy, a little bit bluesy. And so, like, they, a lot of bands will cite Motorhead as an influence. Again, this is a big factor in who are these important bands. I mean, the influence that Lemmy had and the, the longevity of his career not just, you know, in, in music itself, but Lemmy became such a public figure. 
Um, I think people just enjoyed his style, like not just fashion or whatever, but like just the style in which this guy lived his life. Uh, Lemmy was one of those larger than life people and his influence just transcended beyond music even. So, I mean, as far as, as the music itself though, like, like I said, speed metal and thrash metal, um, definitely come from a lot of what Motorhead developed. And, uh, I mean, big bands like Metallica, um, you know, covered entire sections of, of their music. Um, how many, uh, tribute albums does Motorhead have? I mean, it's, they're, they're just one of the bands that just, I think over time became bigger and bigger and bigger even though most of the music that people knew was from the seventies and maybe early eighties. Um, you know, I, 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 I can see, I see the point on that. You know, the funny thing about motorhead, I think the, the one of the biggest influences uh, that they put out there, and, and this is not a joke, but at the joke at the same time is the, their production value, which, you know, directly between them and venom directly influenced black metal um and black metal could sit there and say no we we wanted to be uh different from everybody else but you were just like venom and motorhead and you sounded like shit <laughs> so but they made it worse it was like how much worse can you get oh listen to a black metal album you'll understand um <laughs> but that was one thing that when i was younger turned me off to motorhead was their their bad sounding records um so it took a long time for me to finally absorb what motorhead was all about, you know? And so I was very, very late to the, uh, to the concert when it came to that, <laughs> um, gotcha. but they're not my number eight. My number eight, um, is going to be merciful fate. Um, very similar in terms of the way you mentioned how, um, Metallica was influenced by motorhead, Metallica was also influenced by Merciful Fate, so much so that when Metallica went to record Ride the Lightning, they were actually, because they're both from, you know, uh, Lars and King Diamond are both from Denmark, uh, or Merciful Fate, that they, um, they, uh, they lent, that Merciful Fate lent Metallica some equipment when they went to uh, record at... Um, the recording at the recording studio in Denmark because Metallica had lost a lot of their equipment. Uh, it got stolen from them, not in, not in Europe, but, uh, I believe it was in America. They lost it. And so anthrax let them borrow it. So when they went to record, um, some stuff, they had to borrow amps and guitars and stuff like that from, from people they knew. So they became quick friends with merciful fate who had just come out with, um, Melissa, uh, which came out in 83 and they mm -hmm. were coming out with, um, Oh, what was the second album? Don't break the oath, the second album. So, um, I think they both, they were recording at the same time. So it was, it was one of those weird things. So they were friends yet. Merciful fate was a huge influence on, you know, on Metallica, but merciful fate beyond the Metallica influence, they influenced a lot of things being from that part of the world, Scandinavia. Um, they, they took the influences that started in 1980 with bands like Motorhead, bands like Venom, uh, in that extreme side of the world. And they also saw bands like um, Hellhammer 
and Celtic Frost put together their 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 music and their extremism and now all of a sudden you know they're getting all these kinds of influences but at the same time the new wave of British heavy metal was huge uh, at that time and and so Merciful Fate not being extreme on the vocals although you can call King Diamond's vocals extreme it's not extreme in terms of screaming and stuff like that it's, it's extremely falsetto yeah the the, fal- the the falsetto portion is what makes it extreme if you want to put it that way but they were very very new wave of British heavy metal influenced you could hear it um they're not such a i guess they're not so thrashy but yet they influence thrash tremendously so I, you know, all these bands, you know, we use the word influence, but there's also an important part of it that a band like King uh, Merciful Fate, he wore corpse paint. So he was one of the early adopters of corpse paint, as was you know Celtic Frost and Tom G. Warrior, uh, and even Martin Eric Ain um, put some corpse paint on from time to time. Um, but you know, King was the, first, the the more famous one. I mean, the most famous is is you know Kiss, but they they don't call it corpse paint. We'll talk about that later. Um, but King, you know, was the one he's out there. He's got the upside down crosses, his microphone uh, holder, and not the stand because the stand and he could take that little upside down bone cross that he has and use and walk around with it. So he was just himself himself was extreme and and so he was extremely important in the development and what other people saw and used later on in black metal and and some extreme metal and even some some death metal and even some of the melodic death metal that would come out later on too okay i can see that i think it's a, a fair choice nice right, so what do you got for number seven uh for number seven uh i've got pantera uh, Pantera to me um, definitely influenced all of the groove metal scene, which a lot of bands that were doing other things we've discussed before. Um, Overkill is a good example. Overkill was very thrash and then adopted the groove sound to kind of survive a lot of what was going on as far as the changing music scene. A lot of bands did that, it adopted groove. Uh, uh, Testament's another example of that. So, um, you know, Pantera, there's been arguments that they weren't the first band to bring out the, the groove metal sound, but they're definitely the biggest. Um, Dimebag Daryl alone has influenced how many guitarists out there to pick up a guitar and start playing? Three. Uh, That's just my guess. Just three. <laughs> um, you know, a relatively short career because of, uh, you know, unfortunate factors and We'll never get to see a true reunion of the band, but uh, obviously they're back uh, with two of the of uh, the core original members of the band. Let's let's call it that because you know we could talk about the their first incarnation of Pantera for a little bit, not the not cl- all day the long. Class, the classic lineup, <laughs> but the classic lineup, yeah. you know, most people know Pantera from their origins from. Cowboys from Hell on, not from the stuff before that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a massive shift in music caused by this band. Um, you know, songs like Cowboys from Hell, Walk, Cemetery Gates, I'm Broken, 
you know, five, five minutes alone, just massive hits that still, you know, permeate the music scene. Um, you know, I want to say they were in a SpongeBob SquarePants movie, right? Or, or the episode of the show. Like, I don't remember. I think so. Yeah, I remember that. Um, you know, and, you know, unfortunately, like I said, we'll never get to see a true reunion. Uh, both of the Abbott, uh, uh, Vinny Abbott, Vinny Abbott, Vinny Paul Abbott, and uh, Dimebag Daryl are no longer with us. So um, that that is the unfortunate aspect of it. But I think it's it's one of those things like there wouldn't be, um, there wouldn't be that groove metal scene if Dimebag Daryl didn't have that influence on it. I I really believe that. You know they they not just influence groove metal but new metal metal core um a lot of that stuff like i would say pantera was never metal core but a lot of the stuff that they had influenced the metal core scene so like again one of those bands that doesn't necessarily fit into a genre but you can see other bands go wow that's some really cool stuff we're going to take it in a different direction and and take you know take the torch so very cool, man. I, I I absolutely love Pantera. You know, I I I um while you're sitting there talking about Pantera, I, I realize what do you get when you take '80s glam metal, mix it with '80s thrash metal? You get '90s Pantera <laughs> because that's what was the groove about it. You know, you think about the the melodicness of '80s glam metal. And you throw it in with the harshness of thrash, because even the the harshness of thrash, like with early bands like Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax, they all had a melodic side to them, and they all had this way of grooving that when you combine it with the the way '80s glam metal was, that's that's literally what Pantera is. I mean, and yeah. and they they themselves were an 80s glam band, you know, as teenagers. So it, it only makes sense that they would take that same glammy groove that they had and just go harder with it. You know, they 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 stole an influence from X Order and they ran with it and they became, you know, one of the biggest bands on the planet at the time, you know. So I, I could see that, you know, I, and I could see their influence. Obviously you see their influence every day. However, they're not my number seven. Okay. <laughs> um, actually, I didn't have them on my list at all. Um, and it's it's unfortunate, but there are, you know, seven other bands that I chose that I felt were more important to her. <laughs> all it, right. It's a good it's good that you brought them up. Um, so number seven to me. Uh, in this particular category is going to be Slipknot. Um, and I know you're, you're probably just like you're slapping your forehead, you're shaking your eyes and, and just saying, how the hell did you pick Slipknot? Well, think no, about. I had, I had them at number 11. They, <laughs> they, they didn't make my list because uh, I'll explain after you do yours. Okay. So the reason I put them in there is because when you think about what, Slipknot is today compared to what they were in, in 1999 when they started. Um, when, 
when they be, when they released their first album, um, you would you wouldn't think that back in 1999, first of all, that they would still be here today, um, but it, it was su- it was such chaos when they first started. Like literally, you know, nine guys going nuts on the stage. The music is chaotic. The music is all over the place. You never would have thought they would have had that kind of influence on the scene. Um, but when you think about where they are at 23 years or 24 years, almost 25 years later, and this is a question that you and I have talked about, and we've we've almost kind of tried to do an episode on it, but it's it's like who else the the question is who can lead the charge of today's heavy metal who today can be the headliner if metallica were to go away and not do festivals anymore and they were to go away and not do um, stadium tours who is going to be the next wave of bands that can play stadiums by themselves and sell out the next closest band is Slipknot, which is amazing to, to to think about. You know, they're not fest festival, and it's a festival for for what it's worth. You know, is they're headlining a stadium. Um, I don't think I don't think even Slipknot can go out and do a stadium tour the way Metallica does, and sell out the way Metallica does. But um, you know, when it comes to a traveling festival, and you you put in some good bands underneath them. Slipknot can do it, and they've obviously proven that they can. Um, you know, and their influence on the, the the bands that came after them are is just very evident. You know, between the different styles of of combining all the things that they've combined with, um, you know, they combine thrash, they combine death, they combine new metal, they combine metalcore, they combine traditional heavy metal all into one accessible sound. Because that's the other thing too. Is like, how is it that they're popular with that kind of style, but yet they're relatively accessible, especially nowadays. Although they still try to be pretend that they're extreme, so it's it's crazy how they become accessible. Um, and that's why you know. I put them at number seven. Um, and I, I get that to some degree. Um, I just don't think they have the influence that, that you're saying you you talked about basically how much they were influenced by other bands. You said they took like all these things and kind of like, you know, brought them into their music. And, but I didn't hear you talking about all the bands they influenced, you know? And, and I, so, I, I, well, for, to to kind of cut you off there real quick, it's hard for me to say who they influence because I'm not big on today's metal scene. You know, yeah. the, these bands that are in the metalcore genre or the or the the calculus core or or the algebra core, I don't I, I don't know any of those fucking bands. You know, and I and it's hard to listen to some of those bands, but I yeah. do know, and I've seen it in pictures. You've seen it in in you know how other, some other bands are, are doing percussionists or DJs, they're doing more than five guys. They might have six. They might have seven. You know, they're they're not necessarily doing masks or jumpsuits, but they're doing styles. Like right now, there's a band out there called Sleep Token. Mm-hmm. They're following in Ghost's footsteps, 
by not showing their faces. Okay. Yeah, they're they're influenced by ghosts. Not so. yes, no, but who did it first? First, it was Kiss. Then it was you know. Then it was Crimson so Glory. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. We, we think yes. about it. It goes a long way. Then it was Crimson Glory, and then Slipknot. When they first came out, no one knew who the nine guys in Slipknot were because they had those masks on. Mushroom yeah. Head had did the same thing. So it, it goes down the line, right? But as it goes down the line, someone you know that like, let's just say because they're young, Sleep Token. Their initial influence might not be Kiss all the way from 1974. It might be a Slipknot, or it might be a Ghost, or let, you know they stole the idea from Ghost. But we're going to do this kind of mask. It's a mask. It's not a. It's not a, a costume that hides everything like Papa Emeritus or whatever he calls himself. I just now. don't think Slipknot's music has influenced as many people. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm saying I don't think it's as influential. Fair enough. That's your opinion. I yes, don't sir. like it. I'm going to be mad at you now for the next two hours. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fine. That's pretty late. <laughs> All right, number six. What do we got? Oh well, you were going to uh, say uh, you were going to say something else about Slipknot. That, no, that was basically it. I mean, oh, okay. just that that that's why they didn't quite make my list. I think they do have some. Like there's some aspects of what you're saying that are definitely correct. Like, but but I don't also think they're the next one to carry the the banner. I See, think I think another band will show. Like whenever Metallica is done and hangs up their their you know guitar straps, let's just say that. Um, like I think there will be another band by that time that will pick up the reins from there. I think that's it's just gonna be it. Like Slipknot's time is kind of past. See, now here's the thing. This is where, where you we're getting into the semantics of words, right? You continue to use, uh, influence where I dropped the influential part and I'm talking about important. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried. I'm not, I don't think it's not important, <laughs> but okay. And that's the thing. I, I, you know, I disagree with the fact that, you know, you're saying that they're not the next headliners. They absolutely are right now, you know, a band that can do stadiums where I don't even know anybody else on the horizon who's even remotely close to being able to do what Slipknot can do. And that's that's the crazy thing about it because Slipknot will do, you know, we'll sit there and say, okay, I'm, we're going to do Knot Fest for this weekend, you know, somewhere in California. It mm-hmm. will sell out, right? But, you know, you, you, who else could do that? And we're not we're not talking about any of the classics. Anybody newer or as or as old as Slipknot, Godsmack yeah, can't do it. You're you're also talking about the, it's not fest, right? Like they have more than uh, themselves playing. Oh yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Any any festival is going to have more options of people to see. Like there are people that I guarantee you that go to Not Fest that don't care about seeing Slipknot. Whereas you have a band like, I mean, Metallica is obviously the biggest band in metal right now, right? So they don't rely on anybody else to sell out their shows. Correct, so, and I and I did mention that that even even Slipknot cannot do it at this that at this stage. They've never yes. been able to, do, you know, just announce a show by themselves and sell out. No, I I agree with that, but they're the next closest because they can hold a festival. 
that is Slipknot related. I get that, but I'm, that. I'm just saying, like, by the time that, like, going back to Metallica, when they hang up their reins, it doesn't just automatically go, oh, well, that then Slipknot can sell out a show. I, I think a band like Ghost sells out bigger than, than Slipknot sometimes. It's a, that's a, it's a different audience. It, I, I don't. I don't think Ghost gets the same heavy metal audience that a Slipknot or a Metallica get. Well, probably closer to Metallica, but not not it's a. Still, not a Slipknot. It's still a. It's still a metal audience. It's not the same audience, but you could say that the same thing about uh, an Overkill audience is not the same as a. I don't know, um, Judas Priest audience. It's not. It's not the same. Fair enough. Fair enough. Regardless, <laughs> let's move on to six. All right, number six. <laughs> what do you uh, got for number six? For no, my number six, I've got Van Halen. Um, you know, and some people might say, "Oh, well, they're not really a metal band per se," but I would disagree that their influence is not felt on the metal community. Um, Van Halen, um, you know, that finger tapping that Eddie brought it to prominence he wasn't the first to do it sure whatever um but when people first heard eruption their minds were blown and how many people picked up a guitar because of it um a lot of the style that was brought into what they did is metal and they, they had the attitude of metal um so definitely one of the most important bands in the genre um, you know, the front man, um, how many emulated David Lee Roth, um, just a hard rock band with that kind of attitude that played metal licks that played amazing solos, um, you know, definitely had a, a massive impact on the metal scene. I can I can see your point there with that because of Eddie and and you know how many people picked up a guitar because of Eddie how many people picked up a guitar because of Dimebag, mm -hmm. um, you know uh, how many people have picked up a guitar because of Zach, uh, you know how many people have picked up a guitar because of Slash you know those are the kinds of people that have that kind of reach, um. It, it, yes, I, I agree that they're very important to the genre, but I'd left them off my list uh, only because I was focusing my 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 top ten list, you know, directly in metal and what what you know for 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 metal, you know. And there's only you know for all that there's only one band on my list that um, may or may not have ever fallen into the metal category. We'll get to them later. Okay. So, but I mean, I, I agree. I mean, Van Halen was very influential. It was very uh, um, important. But here's the thing. To me, when you look at Van Halen and its influence, Eddie Van Halen is the influence. The band itself. Yeah, is, but Eddie never did solo stuff. No, he never did. Neither did Alex. <laughs> and, and and maybe I should expound a little bit more upon like why I say that. So if I listen to like you mentioned, um, some of the the more rare sub subgenres of metal earlier, right? Like you talked about mathcore and that kind of stuff, right? All that weird shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> so 
a lot of the finger tapping techniques and stuff are essential for a lot of those genres of music because of the speed at which these guys play, etc. Um, a lot of that stuff evolved from type of music that Eddie brought around, right? So for me, when I really thought about types of metal beyond just what I listen to, I, I look at the way these guys play and that there's a lot of influence from Eddie in there. And, and then I thought about front men specifically front men who influenced so many of these front men. Right. And you can look at guys like Steven Tyler and you can look at guys like, um, you know, uh, Robert Plant, etc. Like where there is that really like strong DNA in a lot of these bands, but also like David Lee Roth was just one of those guys that like people emulate and not just people that were in hard rock, but like metal singers that were in the eighties. So, I mean, for me, it was, it was more than that. So it was, it was more about like what's in the DNA of metal and where did it come from? So not just, and like I said, not just the main genres, but all of the, the tertiary genres and stuff like that too. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, it's a good point. I, you know, I, I understand the point completely. Um, I disagree about the David Lee Roth part, but we'll, that, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> uh, David Lee Ross is starting to get annoying to me. So he's, he's dropping. No, I mean, he's annoying as hell now. He's, he's but dropping like, way down on my list. <laughs> you can't deny somebody's influential just because they're annoying. <laughs> sure. I can watch me. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> so you got Van Halen for number six. All right. So my number six, um, I have corn. Um, and, and I, and, and I was listening to corn today specifically. I said, you know what, what, what are these bands that were different, that were unique, that did something that can I, can I actually cut, cut in just briefly? Sure. I, I would agree with them more than Slipknot. <laughs> okay. I get you. I guess why they're higher on my list. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, it's only one higher. I mean, I think maybe I should have put Slipknot more towards the end. And originally they were just my number 10, but um, then I realized, well, you know, maybe just eh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, here we are. <laughs> number six, Corn. Um, so Corn for me, when I started listening to him, I remember when Corn came out. Um, I was in the, in the retail music industry and I got the promo. I brought it home. I listened to this and I'm like, what the hell is this? I mean, it's very seldom that I could sit there and throw a CD on and say, what the hell is this? But it was so different, you know, between, you know, producer Ross Robinson and how he recorded the song. I mean, crisp, clear sounding instruments, the bass just cutting through because the, you know, um, Fieldy just played such a different style of bass. He played a funk style of bass, but he wasn't funky in terms of like, like, uh, Flea. You know, he wasn't funky like Rob Trujillo was with, you know, with uh, infectious grooves, but he played that kind of slappy style bass. Um, then they're playing, you know, the, uh, Monkey and, and I forgot the, oh, and Head are playing these down tune. You're, you're, you're getting a C 
a baritone guitar and probably playing, you know, even more down tuned, which is crazy to think about. And they're playing seven strings. And it's just like, what is going on here? And then you've got the singer who's kind of just, oh, very personal when it comes to his lyrics. And it's like, holy shit, what is this that's playing? I, I was blown away. Now, mind you, I wasn't greatly going, wow, this is this is amazing. But at the same time, I was like, what the hell is this? You know, uh, and then their next album comes out and it's just like, okay, it's, they gained even more popularity. And then um, Adidas, the song Adidas that they had, you know, all day I dream about sex, which is the, the, you know, the uh, schoolyard slogan for, for the, the school brand of Adidas or the shoe brand of Adidas. <clears throat> I was just like, this is pretty cool, you know, and, you know, they're, they're getting to say it out loud. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so they, you know, they start this style of music and, you know, they're not, you know, obviously when, when they formed, they weren't thinking, oh, we're going to go ahead and create a whole new genre of metal. They just did what they did because that's what they came together to do. Very similar to System of a Down. No one can play like them and no one can be them um so yeah but a lot of bands definitely found some influence in their sound so i mean i i can definitely agree with that one right so so corn you know basically as unique as they were in 1994 because they came out they, they released their demo in 93 they were the pioneers of new metal um they you know a lot of people were calling it the new wave of metal at that time um not the new wave of American heavy metal, which would come out a few years later. Um, or not even a few, they were part of that scene too, but it, the new, to me, the new wave of American heavy metal was a lot harder, but they were, you know, very similar to how the great influencers, like you mentioned over and over, they're not part of the genre, but they created the genre. They were part of new metal. They created new metal. Um, but they weren't part to me. They were the influencers to, the new wave of American heavy metal. Um, yeah, because they're credited as being one of the earliest ones of those, of those bands. But when you sit there and say, okay, what's the new wave of American heavy metal to you? Or to me, it's Lamb of God settles fall on earth. You know, those are the bands that are part of the new wave of American heavy metal, not corn, but corn is new metal. And they even had their influence on bands like Limp Biscuit and Lincoln park and stuff like that. You know, so it was just crazy. And then, you know, then they hit mainstream, which made it even more nuts because when they hit the mainstream, then it just, it exploded. And then the whole scene exploded and then hot topic exploded <laughs> and, and everybody's angst exploded, <laughs> you know? So then all of a sudden shit went sideways, you know? So oh, yeah. that's my number. I mean, six. I I didn't have them on my list, but I can definitely agree with them being on there. Like that's you know, not not definitely not a band I ever listened to, but definitely had had experiences with them. Um, you know, very popular in in my youth. So I mean, they were one of the bands, um, the earliest bands to combine genres on a tour. You know, you yeah, they're you know they're not they're not going to play strictly with metal bands. They're bringing in hip hop bands. 
they're bringing in alternative metal bands or alternative rock bands, or they're bringing in ska bands, or they're bringing in college style bands. Yeah, they had they had a lot of crossover appeal, and and, and that's why they blew up because they were able to, and, that, and that's what that, to me that's what the whole new metal scene was. It was such a. a an amalgamation of so many different things, yeah. you know, that's why like, like when people talk about, you know, they throw Godsmack and Creed into that category. I'm like, you're fucking crazy. You know, Godsmack was a straight up metal band, you know, um, more so from the second album on than the first album, but they still had some good ones and people throw Creed in there and, and all sorts of things. And like, you know what? No, Creed's not new metal. Sorry. You know, I don't know what you're thinking, but they're not. But they got lumped in there because you know they were, you know, the the voice of Scott Stapp and the the, the heavy guitars. I mean, let's, let's be real; like genres of music are only just to identify what can sell best. Yeah, you know, it's because it's like if you if you lump these bands together, they may not sound the same, but they're they might appeal to the same audience. So, like. Yeah, a lot of people that were listening to Corn were also listening to Creed back then. No, that's true. I was. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right. Number uh, five. Number five. Um, this is my other kind of controversial band that may not necessarily be metal, but my number five is Kiss. Um, and the reason being is like their image, really. Uh, Kiss inspired so many people, um, you know, guitar-wise, drum-wise, you know, bass-wise, sleeping with women-wise, um, you know, <laughs> uh, like, Kiss, Kiss had the pyrotechnics, they had the stage show, the levitating drums, rockets, you know, shooting from guitars, smoking guitars, spitting blood you know fire breathing they had shock rock they had that that um you know that image that people were like blown away by and wanted to be part of um they had the costumes they had the characters they had uh you know the leather the spikes you know all these things that that the image was often scarier than the reality of everything right the music itself was more bluesy and rock um but you know they they did branch into metal but i don't think those were the years that were the most influential it was more the early years and and a lot of that stuff like you said earlier it wasn't corpse paint it was just makeup but it's very similar to the corpse paint you know that the the image of of kiss scared you know the 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 parents at home, you know, they, oh, what, what is my child listening to? And there was that attitude behind it. And there was the, um, you know, the, the excitement that was there that is just like, how many metal guys have we heard talk about their love of kiss? And, uh, you know, it's just like Ace Frehley, um, you know, his, his style of guitar playing isn't necessarily the most technically proficient, but, he has a, a, a soul to the way he plays, and, and people picked up a guitar because of him. You know, and I, I keep bringing that up, but that's what, that's what the soul of music is, is, you know, you see something or hear something, and you go, I want to do that, and I want to I make it my own. And, and I think Kiss was one of those bands that 
not just through their music, but like through their image inspired so many musicians out there. Oh, absolutely. Dimebag Daryl. He's got an Ace Frehley tattoo buried in a Kiss coffin. So uh, Ace was a huge influence. Kiss was a huge influence on Pantera, uh, specifically Diamond Vinny. Um, So Kiss is number four on my list. So uh, we'll get to my number five after I I expound on Kiss. Um, That was the one that I mentioned earlier that was maybe not necessarily metal, but they touched upon metal. I'm sorry, but if you listen to Kiss and Seven, if you see their shows, they're about as metal as it gets from 1975, 1976, 1977, because they were out there playing a hard rock show. They were playing, they, their music was harder than Ted Nugent. Their music was harder than Boston. Their music was harder than Foreigner. Okay. Um, okay, that's not tough. No. <laughs> But well, to be but, harder than Foreigner. <laughs> no, but think about for, but Foreigner wasn't doing I Want to Know What Love Is in 1975, 1976, 78. Hot Blooded was 19, their, their big song in 1978. Okay. Still not. Still not. No, I get that. <laughs> but, it, you know, Kiss is coming out with I Stole Your Love, Love Gun, Detroit Rock City. Those are hard, hard songs. And I'm not talking about difficulty. They're, they're hard songs. They're hard rock songs. But they... For 1976, 1975, 77, that is what heavy metal was. Really? Yeah. You know, I mean, Judas Priest was not much harder, if at all, when you think about it. You know, they got harder. I mean, the hardest that they got, you know, didn't, you know, they progressed and it wasn't until Screaming for Vengeance in 1982 that it really, really exploded because anything that you listen to on British Steel, I put Detroit Rock City on that uh, up with that. I put uh, Making Love from off of 1976 Rock and Roll Over up against any of that music. It's just as hard, if not harder. You know. Yeah. So for for what they are in, in at that time, yes, they were a rock and roll band. They were not necessarily taken seriously, but when you go to those shows, that shit was hard, you know, that rocked, you know. And yeah, so parents didn't like them, but if, you know, from after 1978, all of a sudden, all the parents liked them. <laughs> so it it was it was weird in that in that regards. But yes, you 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 hit it on the head. Kiss is important because of what they brought to the table. The shows. I mean, everybody uses fire and 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 uh, pyrotechnics nowadays in their shows. It's almost like a a, a given who did it first, you know, yeah. or who were one of the first bands to, to do it. I mean, kiss was one of the, if not the first band to do it on a regular basis. Okay. But it's funny because, you know, when you think about it, if you watch any of the old videos, they very rarely used a lot of pyrotechnics. They had maybe one or two songs at most throughout the show that had any sort of, you know, bombs going off it, you know, the, the whole centerfold to a live two is, I don't want to use the word fake because the picture is absolutely 100% real, but that never happened during the show. They posed that shot. They literally on sound check, they posed it and they said, let's blow up everything we got for this picture. <laughs> and that's how the picture came about. But 
they didn't necessarily do that. Like they did flat, you know, uh, opening song on a love gun tour was I stole your love. So, you know, it's soon as they hit that hard hit, a flash pot would, would blow off. You know, the same, the same flash pot that blows off when Orange Cassidy gets introduced is the same shit that blows up on the side, on the side of, of Kiss's show. But it wasn't a big torch of, you know, a, a, a big tower of flame. It came once at the end of the show. So mm. it, it, it would, it, it would progress because the stuff in the eighties and then into the nineties was a lot more extravagant than what anything they did in the seventies. But it's a reputation that they built it up on. But nowadays, obviously Metallica has, has pyrotechnics. Amana Marth uses fucking torches. Like it's going out of style on the, in their shows. You know, Iron Maiden has, you know, blows up stuff all the time, you know, for beginning and end of their show, you know, hardly anything in the middle, except, you know, on, on uh legacy to beast, you know, Bruce comes out with that flame torch during a flight. Of, was it flight of Icarus? I think it was. Yeah. So, it's just pretty wild, you know, but everybody does it now. Why? Because of kiss, you know, the makeup back then it was called Kabuki style, you know, now it's called corpse paint. So they were the first ones to use it. I mean, Alice Cooper had a little bit of makeup, you know, he still puts on the eye stuff now, but he didn't do what Gene Simmons did, you know? And so they had, they were the first ones to use the whole, the whole face white, you know, with, with, a, with a, a pattern on it of some sort. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, kiss is hugely important into the entire metal genre, you know? So, um, so you're going to number four. So let me talk about my number five, since we were talking about kiss, they were my number four and they were your number five. Um, my okay. number five for me, and this is probably going to ruffle a lot of feathers out there. Um, because it may again, not be necessarily metal, but Nirvana ushered in the era of grunge. And while it's not Metallica metal, it's probably harder than a lot of the shit that came out in the eighties, specifically, you know, things like smells like teen spirit or some of the punk influenced songs from that were on insecticide. Right? Was that what it was called? Incesticide. Incesticide, sorry. Uh, I was trying to be nice about it. <laughs> but, you know, to me, they killed uh, pop hair metal, if you want to put it that way, glam metal, hair metal, um, and, and ushered in the era of grunge. But grunge, in and of itself, you've got bands like Soundgarden, you've got bands like Alice in Chains, they are metal bands. Whatever you want to say, you know, Black Sabbath is a huge influence on Soundgarden. Um, Doom Metal was a huge influence on on the style of of Soundgarden. Alice in Chains, they were a glam band until they changed, and, you know, very similar to how Pantera changed. Well, so did Alice in Chains. And, you know, they get it, they get this singer, Lane Staley, who, who was just absolutely hypnotic and they became the band that they are today. So Nirvana ushered in that, that whole era. And so to me, they are extremely important 
to the scene because of what they did, good and bad. They're my number five. They can five. see that. This is 10 most important metal bands. And while the the other two that we, you know, were a little questionable, still have a lot of metal in them. I don't see the metal in, in Nirvana, but I, and I see the impact they had on metal for sure. Well, I see, I see the metal in, in songs like Smells Like Teen Spirit. I see the, uh, the, song, the, the metal in songs like Aneurysm. Okay. Um, mm. I, I see it in, in the way that he, you know, like, that Kurt Cobain plays his instrument. I mean, there's a lot of punk influence as well, but there's a combination of all of that. You know, I mean, Kurt Cobain, huge, huge Kiss fan. I mean, they did, yeah. they did Do You Love Me on a Kiss tribute album. Okay. The Melvins, you know, are influenced by Kiss, huge Kiss fans. Okay. Does it translate? The Melvins are a grunge band, but they are a grunge metal band. Do, do people necessarily lump them into a Metallica style metal? No. Okay. The, the, the problem that people have with Nirvana is that they crossed over and they killed hair metal. But they still, to me, there is a style of them that is metal in a way, shape, or form. We'll just have to agree to disagree, to disagree <laughs> on this one. All right. What you got for number four? Uh, my number four is Judas Priest. Um, Judas Priest commonly known to have coined the the term metal um you know one of those bands that is synonymous with the word metal um the leather look that so many bands adopted um you know rob halford was is the metal god i mean why are they referred to as the metal gods if they aren't you know one of the most important metal bands ever uh, British Steel being like one of their their biggest albums that that just brought people into the metal genre. Uh, like you said, they didn't become extremely heavy until Screaming for Vengeance. But the the blueprint of what metal would become, like if I th- if I think of any band that just defines like metal at any period of time, from their origins to now they are that band you know they like the anything they put out is truly metal in that time period so you look back in their their origins um you know rockarola and sad wings of destiny and you know you go to stained class and you go on to uh the era of uh british steel and later uh screaming for vengeance Defenders of the Faith, et cetera, like, and so on and so forth, you know, even uh, uh, Painkiller, you know, all of those times, they were never really following trends. They were just getting heavier and heavier and heavier <laughs> with each album. There were a few missteps along the way, you know, point of entry, bring up point of entry <laughs> Turbo, um, but, you know, point those were things that <laughs> they were, they, tr- they were trying different things, right? So, like, there were again a few missteps, but for the most part, if you look at their their 
the career. It's pretty uphill climb just towards heavier and heavier music. And uh, they just weren't one of those bands that just followed trends. Like people, they influenced so many people. Um, even this last year, they they what did they get the uh, participant trophy? Oh, the, uh, the the hall of the rock and roll hall of fame rock and roll hall of shame yeah, yeah, the part the thank you for participating in the rock and roll hall of fame trophy yeah they had um it was like an not an influencers thing um this it's the same the same award that randy rose got in for um it wasn't a full-blown nomination you know yeah like it was like we're gonna give you this because people keep you know, pestering us about it. That's basically um, what it was. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there, who you can't deny the influence of this band. Uh, just every step they've taken from the beginning of their career to now has been in the name of metal, and that's the best way I can put it. So Judas Priest is my number three. Okay. And so we'll talk about my number four afterwards again. Um, I agree with everything that you've just said. It, it, they absolutely, they are, we as fans, all of us around the world who are into heavy metal, who consider ourselves a rivet head, a headbanger, a metal head, we all owe our fashion style to Rob Halford and KK Downing and Glenn Tipton, mostly Rob and his gay friends. <laughs> and the end's like, I'm here too. You know, who? Ian, Ian. Ian Hill. <laughs> hey, wait, I'm, I'm here in the back. Um, but really, you know, um, who would have thought? that a guy going into an S&M shop, walking out the way he looks, is going to influence an entire genre and, and every subgenre after that. Okay? I mean, that alone puts them in this list. I mean, they could, they could have sucked, but because they're the ones who created the damn freaking dress code, <laughs> you know, that's why, that's why they're there. Um, and that's how important they are. They created the dress code. You know, and that's, you know, leather studs. I mean, Kiss, Kiss wore spandex more than they wore leather. Okay. They were more like superheroes in a way. Well, no, but yeah, in the spandex, but I mean, they wore black, right? And, and yeah, Jean had leather on, but Jean wasn't wearing, you know, leather gauntlets. Jean, you know, the only thing that was really leather on him and that was because it, just the way it, 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 it worked out with some of his shoulder pads and his gigantic fucking cod piece that he wears for his problem. Yeah, like you, you could probably get away with wearing what Judas priest wore on occasion, like in certain things. Right. But like you couldn't wear like what kiss wore to the store or something. You know? <laughs> no, you, you can't. Not unless, not, platform boots. not unless it's Halloween, you know, yeah. but so Judas priest, absolutely you know they created the dress code and so that's you know that's enough of a reason by itself but you know we we move on exactly what you said they got harder and harder and harder with every progressive album in the 70s and into the 80s okay literally culminating in 1990s painkiller uh 
Okay. So, mm-hmm. so painkiller became the, the, the marker for what Judas priest, um, became. Okay. Um, that was the, the absolute culmination of their, of their heavy metalness, if you want to put it that way. So since that time, all the albums that they put out have pretty much been equal in terms of the, their sheer magnitude of metal. And, uh, I mean, firepower probably being the next most potent album that they put on. That was the last one that, uh, was released in, the, until this one that's coming out uh, next month, I think it is. So yeah. invincible shield. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, March, I'm, I believe. Oh, in March. Okay. So you got a month and a half, two months. So, you know, it's, absolutely super important to the whole genre of metal because of the dress code and because of how they progress in each one. And, and they live is beyond the dress. Code, they live for metal. I mean, everything, you know, like you said, Rob Halford is called the metal God for a reason, you know, and, and everyone literally, you know, treats him that way because he's, he's one, he's a genuinely nice guy, but two, because he, uh, he lives it and breathes it every day. You know, check out his Instagram uh, page. He lives and breathes uh, heavy metal. And, you know, then there's some other things you might not want to open up the picture on. But, oh, man, there's, there's lots of them, dude, literally. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he he is he is the epitome of the leading the living, breathing metal God. And that's, that's awesome. So, um, so they're my number three, <clears throat> my number. Yeah. were your number four. They were my number three. Um, my number four, number four was kiss. So, and your number five was kiss. So you're, you're at number three. So what do you have for number three? For number three, I've got iron maiden. So Iron Maiden, um, probably my favorite band. You know, it it teeters and 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 shifts from time to time. Um, But I always go back to Iron Maiden. I mean, they put out two of my favorite albums of all time. Um, But more than for me, this was a huge, massive band. Uh, Stadiums in a time when that was really unheard of. Um, you know, it, it, back to their humble beginnings, you know, they, they played in, in clubs and uh, smaller venues, and you had kids bringing cardboard guitars so they could air guitar along with the band. Um, it was just, it was a, a rival of a new scene, and obviously that would be the new wave of British heavy metal. Um, and they were the forefront of that. Um, you know, it was, it was a whole different, um, experience with, with Iron Maiden than any other band. Um, you know, just in the time from 1983 to 1989, I mean, they put out some of their most massive albums. I mean, you could include 82 in that with number of the beast, obviously, but that, that core lineup that they had from, you know, 83 to 89, is probably what most people consider the classic lineup. Um, you know, this is a band that, you know, basically after Bruce Dickinson left, diminished quite a bit, went down to, 
pretty close to their origins where they were playing clubs and smaller venues once again, uh, but had a massive resurgence in the 2000s that has really not gone away. I mean, they're, they're one of the biggest metal bands still to this day. Um, and the influence of everything that they've put out on not just, you know, the scene with their, their character of Eddie, um, but musicians, fans, and just really set an example of what metal was through, you know, that, that surprising, uh, experience that it was, um, and you you lived through a lot more of it than than I did, obviously. So I, I'm always interested to hear your your take on on Iron Maiden. Man, when when I got into Iron Maiden, it was during the Number of the Beast uh, era, 1982, uh, 1982-83, right before Peace of Mind came out. All I I remember hearing before I got Beast was all about Killers, and the album cover was just everywhere. Everybody I knew was into into Killers. I don't I don't think anybody knew at the time until obviously Beast came out and Bruce Dickinson was a singer knew that there was going to be a, a, a vocalist change. Um, but go, living through Bruce Dickinson and seeing the videos played over and over again when we see it now it looks cheesy because you intersperse live concert footage or or not even concert footage performance footage with these black and white um uh what, what do you call that black and white uh so between i mean i don't want to call them native american movies they're kind of like westerns but some of them were war movies you know like for for trooper it was a war movie for run to the hills it was uh it was a western style movie um number to be was conceptual performance thing with you know with a, a devil you know dancing in the background with uh with other people so those videos as cheesy as they were back in 1982 that wasn't cheesy back in 83 that wasn't cheesy to us teenagers and and the, and the burgeoning metal scene that it was um, so it was it was pretty interesting and you know then then the whole concept videos you know in the studio footage uh for for uh, flight of icarus mixed up with you know nico dressed up in a cloak you know hanging out in the cliffs of the bahamas <laughs> so um you know it was it was definitely different it was definitely um cool and you know living through iron maiden i mean it was just to see to see them get more and more popular and, and and just literally come out with banger after banger after banger of an album was pretty amazing. Um, so oddly enough, though, for me, um, I did not include Iron Maiden on my top my ten most important bands in metal history. I'm shocked, and and, and I, I I went back and forth with it because. I I started thinking, I'm like, well, why? Why am I gonna leave them off? What what is it about them that's not so important? Um I started thinking, did did were did, were they were they the first at something? You know, they the biggest thing to me that they were first at was uh, uh making a mascot 
you're you're that's a big deal it is a big deal and and, and, they had had a brand you know they had a an image that was beyond just the band like it was it was something else right and 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 i had them on my list at first um because it was like it was almost like automatic for me but then i started thinking well you know to me judas priest is more important kiss was more important um and then you know i had venom on there um is more important and you know obviously possessed and death that whole that whole unique phase so it was one of those things is like they didn't create a subgenre or they weren't the they weren't to me they weren't the 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 influences of a subgenre at such as a corn or a death or a venom or a motorhead um or a pantera so I, I was like, well, I mean, the biggest thing would be the mascot thing. And, and I, and I thought if everybody had a mascot, okay, but not everybody has a mascot. So I, I, it's a weird thing, but that's the, the reason why I left them off. Um, so it's, it's tough, you know, now if I, if you would have said this is the 10 most influential bands in, in metal history, it's different. There's a difference to me between importance and influence. And so that's why I left them off. But um, you're just at number three. I've what already about, done my three. What oh, about the Soundhouse tapes? What about the Soundhouse tapes? I mean, that's one of the most important, if not, you know, the, the, one of the, the very beginnings of the, of the new wave of British heavy metal. I mean, you say, you're saying that they, they didn't influence the genre of music. Like, absolutely they did. Well, I, I mean, uh, Zaxxon was already around. Motorhead was already around. Um, yeah, but Motorhead is not really new wave of British heavy metal. But they were lumped into it. Um, Def Leppard came around around the same time. Um, it, it's it's it, it's weird. Yes, I, I I see your point, and I see the, the the question based on on the reaction that I gave. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, when we sit there and say, uh, corn pretty much were, were the, were the, were the first to do what was considered new metal or Metallica was the first to what consider many people consider thrash metal, mm-hmm. uh, because their, their style of thrash is different than Slayer style of thrash. Right. Um, when you look at that, I, I don't see, like, to me, Iron Maiden was another in a group of bands that all came out at the same time and, and were part of that scene. I don't know. It's, it's, I, I, I totally see your point because of the Soundhouse tapes, but the Soundhouse tapes, but to they were me, bigger than every single one of those bands. Like, yes, they, were, they, they were the ones. That, that like if you define new wave of British heavy metal you're probably going to see a picture of Iron Maiden oh yeah you'll definitely see a picture of Iron Maiden they were, they were bigger but they their style changed and that's why they became as big as they, came, they became it stayed within the metal genre it wasn't like how Metallica changed from you know from thrash to heavy metal to uh, alt punk you know alt rock in, in the 90s not like that they didn't change they Iron Maiden changed from being this band that was uh new wave of British heavy metal to 
a heavy metal band. When Bruce Dickinson joined that band, everything changed. You know, the the whole style yeah. of the band changed completely. Whereas, you know, you listen you listen to Iron Maiden, you listen to Killers, that is a slight change, a little bit more progressive than your standard New Wave of British Heavy Metal. But look, Def Leppard, consequently, New Wave of British Heavy Metal band, bigger than everybody. Bigger than Iron Maiden. Okay. Not in England. They couldn't fucking sell out a club in, in England, but they were selling out, you know, all over the place in the States, you know, yeah. but you know, when you look at record sales, put it that way, Def Leppard, biggest new wave of British heavy metal band, period. Right. But they're completely okay. different. Zach, to me, bands like Zaxxon, uh, and whatever's close to that, you know, I'm trying to think who else is in that same genre or same time period. Um, I mean, the, the the first bands would probably be. Um, I mean, Zaxxon's one of the earlier when they they came out. Their first album was in '79. You know. Yeah. So it, I mean, I mean, Soundhouse was '79 as well. It's yeah, yeah. Soundhouse was '79, but it was that was produced by themselves. You know, they, they put it out there, and it was just, it basically got them a record deal. Zaxxon yeah. had a, had a record deal. And but as that, we discussed, first doesn't always mean that they were, you know, the most. No, no, intro. I get that. I look, I feel bad for leaving exactly them off. <laughs> <laughs> True. No, I, I mean, I feel bad for leaving them off, you know. But again, it's like to me, they didn't, they didn't create the subgenre. They were part of the subgenre of you know the new wave of British heavy metal. I, you know what I'm saying? I, I, it's hard but, to really, you know, I mean. You know, I love Iron Maiden. They are my number two band. <laughs> you know, so uh, it's hard to sit there and, and try and justify negatively leaving them off when they are my number two favorite band of all time. Well, I don't think it's negative. It's just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what's your number two? My number two is your favorite band of all time, uh, Metallica. Uh, Metallica, obviously, massive band, the biggest metal band today. Um, they, you know, still tour to massive audiences. Uh, they just recently did a uh, a a tour. I mean, they're still doing the tour, right? Currently, um, yes. The, technically, they're still in the middle of that tour. They're just on a break right now. It yeah. starts up again in May, I think. Gotcha. So, like, they did that along with, you know, performances that were being played in in theaters that people are going to see because they can't get into the shows. Um, and then, you know, like, I mean, they're they're really the biggest band in thrash, even though they're not really a thrash thrash band anymore. Um, you know, Metallica formed in 1981, put out their their debut album in 1983 put out massive hit after massive hit you know after that do a black album one of the biggest metal albums of all time um you know survived kind of changing genres over time and even became bigger and bigger and, and there's just the legend of metallica at this point right um you have you have people that that were not even alive at the time that you know mourn the death of their 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 original uh Bass guitar player Cliff Burton, because he was such a, a massively influential bass 
guitar player. Um, you know, they've had documentaries done about them. They've had, um, you know, just book after book. They, they, these guys are multimillionaires who have influenced the industry through other means, like through, um, you know, advancing technology related to music. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to 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 describe just how many things they've done, and that's to me that's the number two. So obviously, like there's there's one that I think is more important, but um, you know, you can't diminish anything that Metallica has done. Well, there will be plenty of people who will try. Metallica is my number two as well. Um, okay, and pretty much for the same reasons that you're saying, you know, I, I tried to think of what it is that Metallica has done that makes them so important, you know, and you know, you, you're talking about, they come out in 1983. Nobody's playing that style of music. I mean, you got a guy who in, in, you know, in, in California who knows how good they are and knows how, um, you know, what they're going to bring to the table and cannot sign them because he doesn't have the money. And so they go to New Jersey and they sign with a guy who doesn't have the money, but he's going to figure out a way to get the money, right? When it comes to Johnny Z and Megaforce. So mm -hmm. um, they come out with this album and it, it, it changes everything. It changes the game. As soon as it comes out, you know, oh, now that, now that we mentioned it, Raven is the other new wave of British heavy metal band that was popular at the time, but even they came out, I mean, even they started around the same time as Maiden, but they, they, their first album came out later. Um, so, you know, you have this, this band that starts in 19, you know, gets their first album in 1983 and, you know, all of a sudden second album because now they have a bass player who who knows music theory, cha they changed the game again on their second album, and then they kind of have a blueprint now. The second, third, and second, third album, and the fourth album goes along with that same blueprint. Um, is just better and better, you know. So then in 1990, they said we're going to change the game again we're going to do something different. We've, we've done, we've become as progressive as we could possibly come or become. Now we're just going to literally flip, flip the script and we're going to become for, for lack of a better term, more groove oriented. We're going to have that Phil Rudd pocket groove, ACDC pocket groove. And that was the black album. And we all know the results of that changing the game ended up, you know, 20 something million albums later. And then they decide not that they wanted to purposely change the game again, but the game changed on them when, uh, grunge became popular. And then, uh, alternative metal became more and more popular. They're like, hold on a second. You know, if we want to stay in this world, we need to do something different. I don't think they needed to change, but load and reload, it is what it is at that point. I never, I never felt like those all albums were necessarily copying anybody or, or, you know, anything like that. But 
but they certainly did fit that era more. Oh yeah, I mean, look, they weren't copying because they weren't they weren't like the other the 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 uh, glam metal bands that said you have to write grunge music, grunge music if you want to survive. The, yeah. Metallica never had that. Metallica was going to do what they wanted to do, but they were, you know, when when the Black album came out, it, you know, they started recording that in 1990. It took a full year. In, in 1990, grunge technically wasn't mainstream yet it was there but it was it wasn't mainstream yet so they didn't flip the coin because they saw something coming they flipped it because they just like this is we've done everything we can up to this point sort of like how slayer was all super speed metal and you know on rain and blood and they said oh, they flipped the script and they, they slowed it down for south of heaven you know still heavy but it was definitely not, you know, it wasn't uh, Angel of Death fast, you know, or or necrophobic fast. It was, it was South of Heaven, you know, slow, almost groovy when you think about it. So, yeah. but Metallica definitely said in 1996, 97, 95, 98, those years in that middle 90s, they said they they tried something different. It was not. It was not thrash metal. It was not speed metal. It was nothing like that. There was definitely a groove to it. Uh, and and I, I keep using that word because it, it is what it is. It wasn't groove metal like Pantera, but there was a certain vibe to it that was definitely yeah. more, you know, groovy. <laughs> so, you know, they, when, when I'm looking at this list, I'm like, you know, why are they so important? Look at everything they've done throughout their career. You know, for for what it's worth, everyone comes out and says they shouldn't have done the movie, Some Kind of Monster. But guess what? Bands nowadays are going to therapy, trying to stay together or at least trying to, you know, keep their lives together. Not a lot of them are, are putting out two-hour documentaries about it, but there has been some admission that they're they're in therapy for, for lack of a better term um you know but the, the whole documentary about making albums and stuff like that you know Aerosmith did it Metallica did it Metallica continues to do it they they're they're one of the few bands in this world that can afford to constantly have a camera around them yeah. you know and it it's it is it is what it is, but that is the style, you know, the thing that that is what they put out there and they portray out there, you know. And for what it's worth, like like you said, they have this amazing tour that's going on right now. Bigger and better. I mean, there's nobody competing on that level with them right now. No, Iron Maiden. No, not in the middle. I mean Iron Maiden is the closest. I mean, Iron Maiden is they they can outside of the United States can go head to head with Metallica and pretty much be equal in the, inside the United States. Iron Maiden can't touch Metallica. It's just, that's just the way it is. Okay. Um, and I'm not saying it's because Metallica is better or anything like that, or because I'm a fan, it, it is the God's honest truth. Iron Maiden can't do what Metallica does in the United States. Um, they can't do a stadium tour. Right now, the only, you know, Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, Metallica. Think about it. Think about that. 
Ed Sheeran's pop. Taylor Swift is pop. Metallica. And, and you know, there's going to be fans out there saying, oh, Metallica's pop too. Fuck. You know what? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> really? Okay. Enter Sandman. Yeah. You want to call it pop music. It's not fucking Taylor Swift and it's not Ed Sheeran. Okay. People are singing along to, 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 to fucking for whom the bell tolls whiplash. People are going nuts when fucking whiplash opens up the show. Okay. So don't, don't give me that shit. That is, that is, you know, it's a completely different level, but guess what? They're doing it in a fucking stadium, just like Taylor Swift. And they're breaking Taylor Swift's records in some cases. And, and it's like Taylor Swift and, and, and Metallica were literally head to head all summer long. But who who had more tickets sold? Who sold more, you know, to this particular venue? Who sold it more to more to that venue? And Metallica was doing equal or better in most cases. There's not a single metal band on the planet that can do that. Iron Maiden be number two. So let's get to number one. Because <laughs> I could go on all night about Metallica. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do know that. Um <laughs> All right, so I think we all know who number one is going to be. It's it's obviously Hagar, Sean, Aronson, Shreve. Ooh, uh, they just yes. <laughs> say yes. One of the biggest albums of all time. I have that um, on vinyl. You know, I seriously you know, do. Sammy <laughs> Hagar, Neil Sean. Um, I, I think the bits played itself out. Um, so number one, obviously, <laughs> is... Black Sabbath, um, absolutely. I don't, That's my number one as well. I, I figured it would be, uh, considering you know your, your the rest of your list, but it would have it would maybe have shocked me if somebody else was. Um, and I think it's simply for the fact that um, it, you know this band was the first band that really put out a sound that evolved into metal. Um, you Nobody's know, we, here without Tony Iommi's tritone guitars. Yeah. And and the lyrical content of what they were putting out, you know, obviously Geezer, I think most people know, wrote the lyrics of the early Black Sabbath albums. Um, you know, Ozzy had that sound, and uh, you know, just the band as a whole. Bill Ward, his contributions to what they did for the first, you know, six albums. Let's not really counting seven and eight, um, <laughs> but. You know, and even then, like after that, when when Dio joined the band and kind of refreshed the sound and and you know made it even more of a metal sound of what we know today as metal, um, you know everything that Black Sabbath did, you know, developed what we know as metal today. Uh, even more so than Judas Priest, that we talked about earlier, that really just waves the banner for metal. Uh, Black Sabbath was never truly a metal band per se, but they were uh, definitely the blueprint, the sound, the thematic elements, the lyrics, the attitude, you know, the, the, the look of what would become metal. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they, they're the forefront. They're the originators. They're the blueprint. And there's no other band that I think of that could be number one on this list. Absolutely. I mean, the godfathers of heavy metal period, you know, they, they created something that no one wanted to even attempt because of the way that they played. You know, I, I did a little bit of research on it. Diabolus, Diabolus in Musica, the same name as the Slayer album. Okay. Latin for 
the devil's interval, the tritone mm-hmm. chord phrasing that that Tony Iommi uses on Black Sabbath is what, for for you know, pun intended, set the tone for what Black Sabbath and heavy metal would be going forward. You know, the horror, the occult themes that they use, and even then, you know, they were socially conscious war pigs. Yeah, from, the, very, from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah, very socially conscious. War Pigs is as relevant today as it was in 1970. That's yeah. that's how amazing that song is. And in and and right now, War Pigs has more of a crossover appeal, and more people know about that song nowadays than they did back then. Um, you know, the have down tune. You, you heard D Pain's War Pigs cover? Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. You know, and, and it was that, again, just like I said, more people know about it today, and uh, it's it's absolutely incredible how that how relevant and and how popular song is right now. Um, I mean, they just used it at a recent WWE pay per view. It's their really? Survivor Series theme song. Oh, okay, yeah. so you know, Black Sabbath's influence and the importance of that band is obviously felt today. You know, and it is, it is without a doubt, you know, without them, we're not here. I mean, if, if they weren't here and Led Zeppelin was the, was the biggest band to come out in that, at that time, we're not, we're not that heavy. Okay. Just put it that way. Um, you have to wait for, you know, Lemmy to get, you know, a little bit more popular, (laughs) (laughs) but you know that that's that that's Black Sabbath for you. I mean, they they literally laid the groundwork, the blueprint. But think about too. You know, we talk about they were a blues band, right? Think about what their albums did. There, there was jazz in their albums. There was pop overtones. I mean, it didn't sound that way, but I mean, look at changes. There's change. The, the song changes is piano and Ozzy. That's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's a good song. It's a, like a little love song. Okay. Maybe it's a breakup song. But it has a remember. somber quality to it too. Exactly. That yeah. that you know fits with their their music. So um yeah, I mean they, they they they're not an explicitly metal band, but they like like we said, like using the word blueprint is I think is the perfect way to say it. Like all of the elements that would become metal derived from what uh black sabbath was putting out no absolutely attitude, image etc yeah right and the reason i bring it up is because you know so many people want to sit there and say well that's not metal this and that and the other thing is not metal dude go listen to changes go listen to some of the softer stuff that that uh black sabbath put out Okay, go listen to some of the softer stuff that Metallica has put out. It, in in the way that metal has always been rebellious and it's considered to be rebellious music, those types of things, a, a fade to black, a one, a welcome home, an unforgiven, nothing else matters. That is more metal in terms of it goes against the grain. To me, that's more metal than what these guys are saying. That's not metal. 
okay, because they're going against the green, because they have the balls to sit there and say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Yeah. That's a me, that's a me's metal. Okay. Those guys who sit there and continuously do the same thing, they play the same chord, they play the same three notes over and over and over again at the same speed for an entire album. Anybody could do that. Spread your wings a little bit and show that you've got more to you than, than that. That's metal. That's being metal. So, Indeed. you know, that's the way it is. All right. So we don't have a big four tonight because we've spoken for the past two hours and, and this is our anniversary episode. So uh, there is no big four tonight. Um, after all that, how could, how could a big four even top that? So um, we are at the end of our anniversary episode of debating metal episode 155 four years on it has been an absolute pleasure doing this almost every week for the past four years and we're going to continue to do new episodes with new and exciting topics and hope that you our listener our ever-growing audience will continue to come along for the ride with us uh to 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 debate and talk about the music that we love so dearly so remember, you can listen to us every week on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to see us grow and be more and more popular, tell your friends about us and have them like or subscribe as well. They won't be disappointed. That's for sure. And don't forget, you can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. YouTube viewers, click subscribe and ring the bell to be notified when we post a new show. So remember to tune in to the next episode where we'll spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe, and always turn it up to 11. See ya!